It's the best weekend of football, divisional weekend. What a season up to now it has been. Welcome to Game Time Podcast with your host, I'm Alex Rubinson. And, and I'm, the birthday boy. <laughs> I'm Shy Dweck. It is Shy's birthday today. It's also Drew Brees' birthday today. And obviously we know he has a big game coming up. Four great games. We'll also go into the firing of Doug Peterson, which I can't believe that happened this past week. So much has gone on. Let's get right into it because it's game time. time. So, Shy, before we get into the games, let's start with the firing of Doug Peterson. I mean, it feels like this happened weeks ago, but this happened this past Monday. And it just seemed like, especially after that Week 17 debacle against Washington, some of the locker room may have started turning on him. Peterson, I think, you know, per Ian Rappaport, was being tired of being told what to do. Maybe a bit of a power struggle there. Jeffrey Lurie thinks this is more of a rebuild, built for the two to three, four year down the road future. And Peterson thought this was more of a quick fix. So just a lot of differences between the two. And and I told, I told you this earlier in the week when it happened that just like a player, I felt like Doug Peterson as a coach just needed a change of scenery. He just needed to get out of Philly. Because I do still think, although I think he was completely wrong for what he did in Week 17, I still think he can be a good coach. I just think that relationship in Philly probably had run its course. The message that he had conveyed to the players may have grown stale. So I still think maybe after taking a year off, which is what what it looks like he's going to do, get back in the game maybe in another year or two, I think that could benefit him. And I think, again, for the Eagles, maybe a new beginning, which is the right course of action here. Yeah. Um, by the way, thank you for the birthday wishes. I was not uh, expecting that out of the gate when you said you had a new uh, uh, surprise intro coming on, but thank you. Honored to share a birthday with uh, Drew Brees, as well as Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, but back to the Peterson firing, I think this was something that I was expecting to either happen you know, right after their season ended, or not at all. And I didn't think he would end up being fired. As you saw, it took a little bit of time. And I think, you know, just based solely off the, the body of work that of this season, and, and it's really whoever, you know, it's really the owner's call. But I probably, being the GM, would have fired him just given Carson Wentz's struggles. I know they made the playoffs the year before, but they really struggled to really make it. And the NFC has not been, you know, exactly, or, you know, a rough ride. So I, I think... I, I I was really really disappointed with his season. I feel like they could have won games even uh, with you know the injuries and you know Carson Wentz's struggles. Um, so I really thought that was um, on him, and he has to take the blame for that. But at the same time, Alex, you know you're quick to always remind us. You know he went to the Super Bowl. He won the Super Bowl. He got them their first Super Bowl, um, which is not something that should be forgotten easily. And they went to the playoffs uh, twice thereafter, which is, you know, clearly no easy task, you know, even if they didn't, you know, win in the manner which they wanted. But I think, you know, I think at the end of the day, I would side with what the owner wants to do here. And Jeffrey Lurie decided, you know, 
it was time to move a different direction, and I respect that. But after this tanking game, he's got to go. It's, he disrespected the game of football and its integrity, as you always say, Alex, as you have said. I don't want to steal your line there. Um, no, it, it just proves that apparently I'm teaching you well. <laughs> yeah, um, and I just, I agree. I think the lo- he lost the locker room. He, may, he I certainly seems to have lost the trust of potentially a franchise guy, the next guy up in Jalen Hurts, should they decide to go in that direction. Um, and, you know, the team, you know, many veterans on that team spoke out and said they were not happy with how that game turned out. And, you know, they have every right to be. Yeah, and after that type of game, and we've seen some of the pushback from you know, there were reports that a few defensive players were being held back from going after Peterson. Miles Sanders expressed his displeasure, I believe, on uh, Philly radio, I believe, the next day. So it just saw that this relationship, I think, was was going to only get worse. And I'm with you that I thought after that week that he didn't get fired. I just thought, oh, they're going to move on with Peterson. But I do agree that I think this, you know, the parting parting ways, firing, whatever you want to call it, I think had to be done just the way that I don't think he would have been able to get that locker room, kind of light that fire into the locker room. I I don't think after what he did on Sunday, it's tough to then go to that to really the same group of guys and ask them to give 110 percent effort every single day. So I just think they needed a new voice. They need a new face as their head coach. I do think, Shai, I think he's going to be a head coach again, though. I I would could I would be surprised. And again, I think he is going to take a year off now, it seems like. But I think within the next few, I don't know, maybe three to four years, I think he's going to be a head coach again somewhere else. Uh, what say you? Do you agree? Do you think he has another head coaching tenure in his future? I I do I do agree. I think he's shown that he can be um a capable leader uh and a guy um to clearly elevate the talent around him. And I think we saw that um in Philly for um at least some duration of his time there. Um and I think we really saw that um the the really thing that that struck me though is during this last season, it felt like not only was he not elevating talent, he seemed to be um, running that town into the ground and making it worse than it actually was. So I do think he gets another job, but I think he needs to take a, long, uh, a little bit of time to kind of reflect on some of his things, what went wrong the past season or, or two, and maybe take an OC job perhaps, you know, or, or maybe just sit, sit out an NFL season and, and make that reflection. But I do think he will... Um, return to the NFL as a head coach eventually. So those are kind of our thoughts on Doug Peterson. And I guess, obviously, there have been a lot of hirings. In fact, just seconds ago, I got an alert that Arthur Smith, the now former Titans offensive coordinator, is officially going to be the new Falcons head coach. That was obviously, you know, there's speculation that that was a foregone conclusion, but officially he is the next head coach of the Atlanta Falcons 
I just want to kind of we're going to make a podcast in a couple of weeks once every head coaching and general manager vacancy is filled and we'll cover everything more in depth in that podcast. But I just thought I'd kind of just do a little rundown of what's transpired over the last couple of weeks. Obviously, Houston, they hired Nick Casario. We talked about that in the last podcast. They did Detroit Lions. They made a move at their general manager spot, hiring Brad Holmes, previously of the Rams. Holmes was instrumental in the drafting of both Jared Goff and Aaron Donald and has been really impressive, especially on the scouting side. Detroit also, for their head coaching, it looks like Dan Campbell has emerged as a strong frontrunner. Campbell has worked with the Dolphins in the past. He's a former tight end, and he is currently the tight ends coach and assistant coach for the New Orleans Saints. So once the Saints season ends, expect him to possibly be the next head coach of the Detroit Lions. The Atlanta Falcons, I just talked about Arthur Smith. He's going to be the next head coach. Of the Atlanta Falcons, Falcons also, they need a new GM. Expect their new GM to be Terry Fontenot, an executive with the New Orleans Saints. They haven't really been discussing any contract terms that is still far from a financial standpoint and a contract standpoint. But again, once the Saints season ends, whether that's this week, next week, whenever, expect the Falcons and Fontenot to get together and hash out a contract Jaguars, obviously, with the big move of the week, I think a lot of people would agree, hiring Urban Meyer. He, Urban Meyer was obviously the target for the Jaguars for what seems like before they even let go of their previous head coach in Doug Marone. The only question was, was Urban Meyer healthy enough and ready to come out of retirement and coach at the NFL level? So, again, we're going to be talking about all of these moves. And then Denver, they hired George Payton to be their general manager after John Elway decided that, yes, he's going to, I guess, get promoted, but he will no longer have be having any kind of final say over personnel decisions, which now will belong to George Payton, who was previously of the Minnesota Vikings organization. And then uh, finally, it looked Robert Salah, who, shy, I know both of us really, I think he was our number one candidate, number one choice of this hiring cycle on the head coaching front. He is going to be the new head coach of the New York Jets. Jets get a lot of heat from a lot of the moves they make, but it looks like they got this hiring right. So, Shai, obviously, we're going to get into all of these hirings in a podcast down the road once all of the vacancies are, are filled. Keep in mind, Washington and Jacksonville still have GM vacancies. And then the Texans, Eagles, and Chargers still have a head coaching opening that they have to fill. So far, though, what have what are some early or quick first impressions you got from some of, from one or two of the hirings that's transpired over the past week to two weeks? Uh, I think to start, very happy for Robert Salah to get that job again. Uh, I thought he should have been hired last season, but I understand you know take it another year. Okay. But now I'm really happy that he got the job apparently that he wanted. Um, he didn't, you know, wasn't he wasn't, you know, forced into the Jets job. He didn't not like he had, uh, you know, didn't have any choices. But he wanted that Jets job, and yeah, we've seen the struggles they've had this year. But they, they he can I think really turn them around. They've got some young solid players in that defense, um, and clearly the number two pick in the NFL draft to work with. I look forward to seeing how that goes. Um, Urban Meyer, I think, 
is going to be the most interesting hire. It's one we saw coming, but it's, I think, also the most interesting one to see how that plays out. Um, taking maybe, Jaguars will be yeah. entertaining, assuming they draft Trevor Lawrence, which in his press conference today, Urban Meyer basically said they're going to take a quarterback number one. Obviously, he's not going to say which player, but he basically said they're going quarterback and number one overall with probably Trevor Lawrence or whomever that quarterback is at number one. And now Urban Meyer, Jaguars, we'll see how many games they win, but they'll be entertaining and fun to watch. And I don't think we've been able to say that about a Jaguars team probably since when they made the FC Championship game. And then you go probably before that year, not for not for over a decade, I would say. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, you know, rumor has it that he's taking a um, maybe a less... And not want to say less involved, but he's not going to be as involved in play calling this year. And um, he would not be calling the plays. He will not he be calling the plays. Not be a play caller whatsoever. And there was also worry about the intensity um, of of Myers coaching. Make it it's what you will. Will be toned down a little bit from him from his work at the college level, which I thought was a very interesting kind of uh, remark or or even question. Um, uh, that was that came out of that press conference. Well, again, and we'll get all to this in the podcast in a couple of weeks. But he basically said he's not going to run around like a nut anymore. That those days are behind him. He said he's going to be demanding. So I still think at times he'll be intense at time, and he'll be very demanding throughout. But I think some of the intensity and some of the kind of getting on your toes part of it, and he's going to I think rely on maybe some of his assistant coaches more than he has in the past. I want to talk about a candidate who, I guess, can you really call him a candidate? Because he's not getting any interviews, and that's Don Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens. I believe it was probably down to him and Joe Judge for the Giants head coaching job last year. They went with Judge. Judge has, you know, despite the record, I think has done a very good job through his first year. But to not get any interviews, I thought, was very puzzling for Martindale, a guy who's had a lot of success with the Ravens. In my mind, he seems like a guy who's cut out to be a head coach and not just be a great coordinator. I think he has some qualities that could translate in terms of leadership and showing accountability, putting guys in position to succeed at their position and in their role. So it surprised me that not only was he not – you know, getting a job or even getting a second interview anywhere, but he's not even getting a first interview. And I understand, you know, a lot of these guys might want like the young, the new, like hot, young, up and coming candidate. And I mean, let's be honest, Martindale isn't that, but I think Martindale has been very impressive with what he's done, especially as of late, that I think he deserves at least a few interviews, maybe even some second interviews. So, you know, it's been a little bit, I, I've been a little disappointed on behalf of Martindale about the lack of interest. Mm. Yeah, I, I can echo those sentiments. Being a Steelers fan from that um, division, playing them twice a year, and really getting a very close look at his defense, one of the well, one of the most well-coached, if not the most well-coached defense in the NFL, um, consistently disciplined they play tough football, they're hard-nosed, and they, they play for him. You know, they he, he's shown that leadership capabilities. His players rally around him. Um, 
And, and no matter who they have on that roster, that defense is constantly playing higher than their talent level, playing up um, to competition, which I think is really important. I, I would love to see him get a head coaching job, uh, not just to get him out of the division, um, but I, I do think he, he deserves uh, at least an interview, Alex, um, um, at one of these gigs. Yeah, and I guess I want to close out, I guess, going back to Robert Salah. And what I love about what I've heard about the Jets' process is although they were impressed what he did as the Niners' defensive coordinator, that's not why they hired him. They didn't hire him because they saw he was, you know, fifth in yards or, you know, sixth in point. They did not hire him because of some statistics or how exactly that Niners' defense performed. They hired him because of what they saw in his ability to be a leader, in his ability to be a culture changer and be able to build up a culture at a Jets organization that has lacked that has lacked that, and uh, I feel like I'm being a little generous when I say that. But I'm just saying he they've lacked culture. They've lacked a good culture. The Jets have for a number of years. So they hi- they hired Salah because they viewed him as the best leader and of a guy who can come in, change the culture, and lead that organization in a tough marketplace too, media market. And uh, so that I really like the hire for the Jets, and I think every NFL team—that's how sh- they should be going about their business when, you know, when hiring a head coach or when hiring, I'm more so a coach than maybe a general manager, but even a GM. Go for a guy who can be that CEO leader type more so than well, his unit was great. So I'm glad to see the Jets make that type of move, and I hope to see more teams in the NFL follow suit. Yeah, Alex. So now that was a little preview of the um, our off season um, hirings podcast, which you can find um, once all these vacancies are filled in a couple of weeks. But now let's get into the big stories, the four fantastic games that we have on tap for the NFL playoffs for this weekend. Let's start in the NFC, the first game. Los Angeles Rams traveling to take off the number one seed, rested Green Bay Packers. I'm going to go with the Green Bay Packers, but I think the Rams can make this a game. Am I worried about golf throwing in freezing conditions, snowing, and basically having four fingers on his throwing hand? Of course I am. And that's basically, hey, I picked Seattle to beat the Rams last week. And I'm obviously wrong, and I'm kind of picking Green Bay for similar reasons. I'm very excited to see Ramsey versus Devontae Adams, though. I think that'll be that. That might be one of the best, if not the best, cornerback receiver matchups that we've seen throughout this year. And we're going to get more good ones throughout the week, obviously. But Ramsey, I think, is going to have to, if not shut down Adams, contain him and limit him. And, you know, not allow the big play, not allow, you know, the big, the big game. And I think with the Packers, Sean, remember last year, what pretty much ended their season was their inability to stop the run. Well, if the Rams are going to win this game, they're going to have to run much like the Niners did in last year's NFC Championship game. 
And I just look, I, I think Cam Akers is an emerging star at the running back position. I thought the Rams did a very good job running the football against the Seahawks. But this Packers defense, specifically on the running side of the uh, part of that defense, has is much improved and has taken significant strides. I think they're going to be able to contain Cam Akers and the overall Rams running game. And I just don't think Goff is going to be able to move the ball down the field, consistently move move the ball down the field to win, to put up enough points. The Packers are used to the cold. Aaron Rodgers, I think, embraces the cold. I think the Rams' defense can maybe limit him, but at some point, the Packers are going to be able to put up their points. And I think this this could be maybe a lot like maybe the Bears-Saints game uh, last week where it was a good game, it was a close game, but the Bears' defense just was gassed, and by the end of it, they allowed a couple touchdowns, and the Bears' offense couldn't do anything about it. That's how I could see this game playing out. I think it could be close early, but I think Aaron Rodgers is going to get his big plays. I think the Packers are going to be going to be able to put up points. And Goff, to begin with, struggles in the cold. He's not good in the cold. And now you're saying he's still, what, 20 or so days removed from surgery? 19 days removed from surgery on his thumb, on his throwing thumb? That hurts, and I think it's really going to affect him, especially in the frozen tundra that is Lambeau Field. Yeah, Alex, I think I'm going to go with the Packers as well, but I think this game will be very competitive and very close. Um, I think that I think that Aaron Rodgers is going to struggle, and I don't usually say that, but I think this Rams defense matches up well against the Packers. And it's not just that, you know, they match up well against many teams for top NFL defense, right? Well, here's the thing. The Packers, their weapon is Devontae Adams, and they've got a solid run game, found a pretty good offensive line, a great quarterback, right? But this receiving core, you know, they've got guys other than Devontae Adams. But if you stop Devontae Adams... You halt a large, large part of this of this Packers offense, and I think Jalen Ramsey has the potential with this Rams secondary to limit him for them to play man coverage. And I think that, you know, given how these Rams, uh, these other Rams corners and these other Rams pieces the secondary have played of late, I like them to win their matchups against a Mark as Valdez Gantling against an Alan Lazard. So I I do like the Rams' defense here and their run game. Their you know Packers have a good run game, but the Rams' defense is great at stopping the run as well. And then you have the issue of David Bakhtiari. Is a guy like Leonard Floyd going to be harassing Aaron Rodgers constantly? Uh, I I think that Rodgers is going to get hit, and he's going to struggle. But they're going to put up enough points at the end of the day to win this game. I just don't think that. When all is said and done, I think the Rams can move the ball with their running game. But I don't think Jared Goff, in this condition, in the cold, with that surgery, you know, 20 days removed on that thumb, I don't think that's going to get it done right now. And I think when you... I'm This could be a potential game for me to pick an upset if we have a healthy Jared Goff on our hands. I don't think I would. But it's a more it's a more interesting you know it's a much more interesting game and I think it's I don't want to say a toss up, but 
but it would almost feel that way to me, given how this Rams defense is playing. Yeah, we also have to see how does Aaron Donald respond to, what, a torn rib cartilage? (laughs) That's the thing to just throw to the side. So I think he's going to play. Aaron Donald, I think he's tough as nails. So he's going to play, and I think he'll be able to be somewhat effective. But what percentage of Aaron Donald are the Rams going to get? Because even, you know, 50 to 70% of Aaron Donald is still very good, still great. But the Rams need all hands on deck, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Now, I brought up the Leonard Floyd uh, against the Packers offensive line. We know David Bakhtiari earlier in the week when we were discussing this game. We're about to see how big of an impact David Bakhtiari makes. And I remember when I got the alert that Bakhtiari was going to be out, he tore his ACL, and I'm thinking... You know, this isn't, you know, it's not Aaron Rodgers, but this is no small injury. Bakhtiari is right up there probably maybe with Devontae Adams in terms of key players on that offense. And really that entire team, if we're being honest. Bakhtiari is, if we're making an offensive tackle ranking, he is accusing the conversation for number one, I would think. I don't know. Do you agree, Shai? I'm not saying he would be number one, but I would think he'd be right up there in the conversation at least. I think that's correct. I definitely think that's correct. I think, again, I do think Green Bay is going to win. But if they win, but the Rams are able to get after Aaron Rodgers, that can be a very intriguing sign to see, you know, who about next week when if the Packers do, do indeed advance to kind of attack that that side of the line of scrimmage, that sign of maybe, you know, whatever, whichever the sign the Aaron Rodgers' side is struggling. So we're, we're both going with the Packers. I think, I think this game could be close, but I think the Packers could pull away late. I just think there's, they're relying, they're going to be relying too heavily on that defense. I will say that I've been saying Darius Williams has been underrated for the entire season. What he's done throughout the season has been truly has been really truly impressive. Just when you're playing on the same secondary as Jalen Ramsey and you're also playing on the same defense as Aaron Donald, it's gonna be tough to get recognition. But I do think Darius Williams will be I mean, look, Alan Lazard is a good number two receiver, but I think Darius Williams you know, if Jalen Ramsey can do his job against Devonta Adams, I think Darius Williams will be able to do his job against whoever he is covering on the opposite side of the field. All right, so we're both going with the Packers to make the NFC Championship game. Now, let's move on to the Saturday night game, prime time, 8-15 Eastern. The Baltimore Ravens coming off a win in Tennessee, traveling up to Buffalo, to take on the Bills. Sean, I'm going to let you start on this one. All right. I said I, would, uh, I wouldn't tell you who I was picking because we both think this may be the best game, or the most intriguing game at least, of um, this divisional weekend. But I'm going with the Baltimore Ravens, Alex. And it's hard for me to say as a Steelers fan, but I I think they match up well against Buffalo. Um, I agree. In, in several ways. I think 
first of all, um, you know, the, the, the Colts' defense was able to, to slow down, um, you know, this, this Bills' passing attack and this Bills', this Bills um, overall offense, and really without doing the one thing that I said you need to do most to win, and that's without slowing down Stephon Diggs. I believe he had six catches for about 128 in a, in a touchdown. That's That can't cut it, right? That's not going to be good enough to win you a football game. Um, so clearly the Ravens are going to have to neutralize him, but the Ravens have one of the best secondaries in the NFL. They have the Marlon Humphreys, the Marcus Peters of the world, the Jimmy Smith to keep up and neutralize guys like Stefan Diggs, where they can play that man coverage, and then they can bring pressure as well and blitz. I think we saw that Bill's offensive line struggle a little bit uh, with the Colts' pressures, and I think we could see a similar thing happen this week, especially if Josh Allen starts to play hero ball like he did taking that sack late in the game. And then on the other side of the ball... I think we said it before, the Bills' defense is really good, but you can run on them. And, you know, those they have good linebackers in Matt Milano and Tremaine Edmonds, but they're not exactly, they're more run stuffers. They're more hard hitters. They're not exactly sideline-to-sideline guys that are going to contend with Lamar Jackson's. I think they're going to have struggle with struggle with these read options, these quarterback draws, that the, that the the Ravens like to run so much, and Lamar made really good throws against um, the Tennessee Titans defense. Yes, it's the Tennessee Titans, but I think if you get you know seven eight guys in the box, any NFL quarterback should be able to make those throws. I like the Ravens here um, for those reasons, and I know I didn't talk much about the Bills side. I'll leave that to you, but that's really why I'm picking the Ravens here in this upset on the road to make it to the AFC Conference Championship? I'm going to be honest. I have no idea who's going to win this game. <laughs> you know, every time I'm like, you know, I'll pick the Bills. And well, well, the Ravens, look what they just did. Now I'll go with the Ravens. Well, the I keep going back and forth and back and forth. I will say, and China, we were texting during the Colts-Bills game last week. If the Bills play like that, they're going to, the Ravens are going to, I think, take it to them. And I think they're going to handle a business if the Bills play like they did last week. I mean, as you mentioned, the sack fumble late in the game on Josh Allen nearly cost his team the game. Josh Allen made plays when he had to. And when he had to, those were big plays. But I also felt like Josh Allen wasn't as consistent. I felt like he wasn't the same guy he was closing out the season. And a reason why I think a lot of people were picking the Bills to possibly upset the Kansas City Chiefs even in a potential AFC Championship game was because of how red-hot the Bills finished. And I know a win is a win, survive in advance. But Buffalo, they are not. They have to, have to play better if they plan on beating or even competing the Baltimore Ravens. Because I think if the, if the Ravens play like they did, they did last week, and the Bills play like they, they did, I think the Ravens could win by double digits. I really do. I think the Ravens could win by double digits. I'm going to pick the Ravens, too. I'm going with Baltimore. I'm going to pick the Ravens. I thought about picking the Bills just to disagree with you, just to have some friendly I was debate. just too convincing. My analysis was, you know, undebatable. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I did think the Ravens would be here, 
I will say, I did I did pick the Ravens last week, which I'm, I have run as Shy will. Shy will let you know I have run a bit of a victory lap over him for picking Baltimore over Tennessee. Tennessee over Baltimore. Well, I picked Baltimore over Tennessee. You picked Tennessee over Right, Baltimore. but you said you were running a victory lap around me for picking Baltimore over Tennessee, but I picked Tennessee. I'm saying for me because I picked oh, Baltimore. Oh, right. Over Tennessee. Okay. I All right. I'm mostly, though, if Josh Allen and the Bills play like they did to close out the season, I think the Bills do win this game. I think the. These are two really talented teams, and these are two, I think, of the most well rounded teams in the NFL. Two very well coached teams in the NFL. But I just think we've seen it. I don't know if Josh, I don't know if Lamar can too, but late in the game, I don't know if Josh Allen can. I think we finally saw last week, Ravens were losing 10 nothing, and they came back. They came back. And I know the Bills have the explosiveness to come back, but late in the game, can Josh Allen have a drive to win it? Can he make a play? late in the game, in a close game, to win the game, to win the ball game. And I think we saw that with Lamar Jackson last week. But we did not, I don't, we, in my mind, we have not seen that with Josh Allen yet. And also, this Bills defense, or especially on the run, the run defense, the Colts ran all over him. The Colts ran all over him for most of the day, even when it was late, even when it was getting late in the game and you thought, Okay, Indy's probably gonna have to pass it if they want to stay in it. They were getting large chunks on the ground. And they were still able to run the ball pretty effectively, very effectively, I should say, and and ended up being in some ways more efficient than their passing offense. And we all know this Ravens team is a very good running football team. Again, are they gonna run for over four hundred yards like they did against the Bengals? No, they're not gonna do that. You almost never see that. But I think the Ravens with J.K. Dobbins continuing to improve in each and every week. And I think we saw the burst and what made Lamar the MVP last season against the Titans. We saw that burst. We saw that athleticism again in some of Lamar Jackson's runs. I think they could have some success running the football, which is their identity against this Buffalo Bills defensive front. The Colts were really winning the point of attack at the line of scrimmage. Ravens. Their offensive line maybe hasn't been as good since the injury to Ronnie Stanley, but they still have a pretty solid offensive line. Look, it's gonna—I think it's gonna come down to—it might come down to whoever has the ball last. But I think this is gonna be a really entertaining game, a really fun game to watch. But I think Baltimore squeaks one out and advances to the AFC Championship game. So we agree again. Uh... I think me maybe I am a little more confident than you are, but uh, we both have uh, we have Green Bay advancing to the NFC Championship, and now Baltimore advancing to the AFC Championship on the other side. So now let's go to the other AFC game. Um, another one seed against the six seed, the Cleveland Browns coming off of a shocking win over the Pittsburgh Steelers in triumphant fashion are going to take on the Kansas City Chiefs after their bye. And we know how good Andy Reid is after his buys, Alex. 
Yeah, I believe the last time he lost coming off a bye, whether that be the postseason or regular season, was 2017 to the New York Giants. So I take I take pride in that little fact. No, but in all seriousness, I think the Chiefs are they have Patrick Mahomes. They have Patrick Mahomes. I think overall they're probably just more talented. They have postseason experience. As you said, how great Andy Reid is coming off a bye week. I feel like all of the advantages point to the Chiefs. And I'm I'm going with the Chiefs. I'm not I'm not gonna pick the upset here. There is that great game, I believe it may have been 2016, between Mahomes and Mayfield in college, where I think they combined for over 1,200 passing yards, well over 100 points scored between the two. It was, it was a great, fun game, and I think if we get anything close to that, it'll be maybe the game of the year. I don't think we're getting that. I think the, the Browns are going to have to run the ball, basically like they did against Pittsburgh, and they're going to have to get out to a quick start. In fact, I know a lot of a lot of teams tend to defer on the opening kickoff. But if you're the Browns and you win the coin toss, I think you might want to try to receive. Try to get out to an early lead. Try to establish the line of scrimmage. Try to run the ball down Casey's throat and establish an attitude against this team. That's what we saw against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Now I know it helped that pound that you know Pouncey over snap you know threw the ball well over Ben Roethlisberger's head and into the end zone, but we also saw that Steelers could have bounced back, but the Browns continued to kind of push the pedal to the metal, and they just continued to establish line scrimmage, run run tough, run hard. And a Steelers team that's known for being physical and dominant at the line of scrimmage looked soft at the line of scrimmage. And it was Cleveland who was pounding and, despite missing Joe Batonio, dominated the line of scrimmage. And I think that's what Cleveland's going to have to do if they want to beat the Chiefs. I know it's easy to say you know they have to run the ball and they have to chew the clock, but that's kind of what they did against Pittsburgh, especially once they got the ball back after the first interception. They ran hard, they ran through tackles, and they established an attitude. And that's what Cleveland's going to have to do if they want to have a shot to pull off a pretty sizable upset against Patrick Mahomes in this explosive, explosive Kansas City Chiefs offense. They are getting Denzel Ward back. They are getting Joe Petonia back. And, of course, they're getting Kevin Stefanski back. So this team will be much healthier. And especially with Denzel Ward back, they need all the help they can get in that secondary no Sammy Watkins, so that should help the Browns a little. But, I mean, you still look left and right. There are weapons everywhere. Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Miko Harmon. They can sh- they, the Chiefs can still stretch the field pretty much at will, even with the absence of Sammy Watkins. And we'll see if Clyde edwards Lair plays. But you're still getting Le'Veon Bell, who's a do-it-all player. So I don't think missing Lair would be a huge, huge miss for that team. But if I'm Cleveland, and again, I'm usually of the mindset that you defer the opening kickoff. But if I'm Cleveland, I might receive and try to establish a physical approach to this game and realizing that there are no pushovers, just like they did against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So you're going with Cleveland, Alex? No, I'm going with the Chiefs. Sorry. (laughs) I am going with the Kansas City Chiefs. I am going with the Kansas City. I'm sorry if I didn't say that earlier. No, I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs. But I thought it would... I kind of took the Browns side and what they have to do if they want to pull off the upset. Because I think that everyone, I think a lot, 
a lot of people, maybe except OBJ, expects the Chiefs to win this game. And I think expects the Chiefs to maybe win this game pretty easily. I don't think it'll be an easy win for the Chiefs. But I, I don't know if it'll be... I think there might be some better games on this slate. Hopefully, hopefully this will be a great game and maybe we'll see an upset. But I do think the Chiefs pull out... I do think the Chiefs uh, win this game. Stop it, Alex. Stop it. I'm trying to take the side of a fear of Browns fans. I'm it. trying to give Browns fans hope. Stop it. And look, I'm laying out the game plan. I'm trying to lay out a successful game plan for the Browns to pull off an upset. The people... Did people think the Giants were going to go into Lambeau and beat the 15-1 and one Packers? All right, all right, all right. Did people Alex. think the Giants, four years earlier, were going to beat the undefeated Patriots in the Super Bowl? Crazier things have happened, Chai. Crazier things have happened. Okay. Well, thank you for that. But, you know, I really can't be talking as a Steelers fan who got embarrassed last week um, on our home turf. Um, when the other team had no practice time, uh, no head coach there, and instead they dominated the game and they looked prepared, and the Steelers did not. Shy, I hate to cut you off. I just want to say this one thing. I got the official stat. Coming off a of bye week, postseason or regular season, Andy Reid led teams are 25 and 5. There you go. Including 6-2 so, and two in the playoffs. There you go. To back what I was saying, the Steelers lost this game. And, you know, the Browns give them all the credit. They, you know, they were the better team. They, they capitalized off their opportunities. They dominated the line of scrimmage. As you said, give them all the credit for pulling out a win in Hines the first time in 17 years. Or making the playoffs the first time in 17 years. Was it Hines in 17 years or playoff in 17 years? May have been playoffs both. Was, playoffs was 18 uh, years. The, the, their last playoff appearance was the 2002 season. And even though it's 2021 currently, it was the 2020 season. So playoffs was 18 years. For uh, so Hines, winning in Hines Field was, I believe, 17 years in that case. So it's it's actually crazy to think that the year in 2002, I think they actually end up losing. I, I remember if they lost or won that game. No, they lost, and I think it was actually to the Pittsburgh Steelers yes, in the first round. You are correct, uh, and you got to give the Browns all the credit for that. Um, but the Steelers lost this game just as much as the Browns won it. Um, they consistently shot themselves with the foot with turnovers, inexcusable mistakes by Ben Roethlisberger, literally spotting them seven points to start the game on a bad snap. The defense was uncharacteristically bad, and there's, you know, no... I mean, I, I the answers for that, I think, come down to coaching, and we can get into that more later, uh, or do an off-season preview or whatever. But I think... Um, this you're not gonna see the Kansas City Chiefs beat themselves the way the Steelers did. You're not gonna see them, you know, even if it's defensively, the Steelers have a more talented defense. You're not gonna see them missing tackles left and right. Uh, you're not. You're gonna see them, you know, you know, make be prepared in this moment. They've had the time. They're they're not gonna beat themselves. Andy Reid doesn't do that coming off of a bye week. You read the stats: twenty five and five. And even with that being said. The Pittsburgh Steelers moved the ball on offense during that passing game. And yeah, the Browns are playing a little bit of a prevent zone coverage. Ben Roethlisberger tore it apart. And, and eventually they started playing a little more up. 
because they were getting a little worried, and Ben Roethlisberger still tore him apart. And I think you got to look at now Patrick Mahomes and the host of weapons that he has in a better offensive line and a better running game. I'm a little scared for that Cleveland Browns defense. Is it Ben Roethlisberger going to tear apart that zone? Patrick Mahomes will do that and then some. And listen, and if you say, oh, play man, you must be out of your mind. The Browns cannot play man. They do not have the guys to match up with the Kansas City Chiefs weapons. This is a game where, yeah, the Browns can stay in it if they run the ball and dominate the line of scrimmage, but it's easier said than done. The Chiefs have too much firepower. And, you know, Chase Claypool, who I think should receive a lot of criticism this week for saying that the Browns are going to get clapped, and that's not sportsmanlike at all, and I I don't like the statement at all by him, being a Steelers fan, but he's right. He's right. They're going to get clapped this week, Alex. Yeah, and I I guess I know we kind of... I want to also go back to the Bills-Ravens game for a sec. We already made our Ravens picks. Marlon Humphrey... Do you, do you think Humphrey faces Diggs? Do you think they shadow? Or, and I heard this on... I think it was Bart Scott on ESPN raised a good point and something that I've advocated for in the past where you put your number two corner, in this case Marcus Peters on Stefan Diggs and double team him with a safety and then put Humphrey on John Brown, their number. So you kind of number two corner and a safety on the number one and then on the number one receiver and a number two corner or or your number one corner on the number two receiver. I guess in this case, we're talking about Ravens Bills, but what do you think of that, that strategy in general? I think it can apply to Brown's chiefs. And I think it's kind of a coaching decision either way you cut it. Uh, Frankly, I think they both can work as long as they're, I think Marlon Humphrey can cover Stefan Diggs one on one. I think uh, he's physical. It's be another enough. great. Yeah, you know, we talked about obviously Adams and Ramsey. It's gonna be another great cornerback wide receiver matchup in that game. And frankly, I think I am erring on the side of having Marlon Humphrey in man coverage. They're both physical, you know, physical players. Stefan Diggs is physical, and Stefan Diggs, yeah, he's a fast guy, and so is Marlon Humphrey, but he's not a burner. And that's when when I look at Marlon Humphrey, I see a physical corner sticks with you, makes aggressive plays on the football, and, you know, is not going to get beat over the top of him. Stefan Diggs is not going to be making these acrobatic, contested catches that we saw against the Colts. That's not happening on Marlon Humphrey. So, and and we saw him even get out of some some, some double teams against the Indianapolis Colts as uh, Josh Allen got out of the pocket, um, which I don't know if we'll see against this Ravens defense. Um, and we saw what they did to Derrick Henry. I think Josh Allen keeping him in the pocket should be an easy task compared to that. But um, yeah. there's also the concern though: does Marcus Peters get beat over the top by a guy um, who has a speed like a John Brown? I I think that's I think that's a valid concern. But I think if Marcus Peters stays disciplined, that's a matchup he should and can win. Um, I think Marcus Peters is a, is a, is fast. It's just when he bites on double moves. That's how. That's when you get him. And I think if he With stays disciplined, speed guys and quick guys like John Brown can they can really thrive. Yeah, on those but I just moves. think if he doesn't get over aggressive, I think the man the the mantra should be stay true to your identity, play that man coverage, blitz, uh, uh Josh Allen. So, Shy, now let's move on to the final game of Divisional Weekend. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers, led by the 43-year-old Tom Brady, 
taking on and visiting the New Orleans Saints, led by the 42-year-old, just turned 42 years old today, Drew Brees. I'm going to let you start us off as a, I think for these quarterbacks, why are they going to bring out the wheelchairs for this game? Yeah, they might. Who knows? Um, I'm I'm going to go with Tom Brady and Tampa Buccaneers to finally get a win against the Drew Brees-led New Orleans Saints. They've got whooped the first two got- times they met this season. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, as you were saying before the podcast, are a much different team. And when I evaluate these two teams, it's close. And I'll start, you know, um, from the Tampa Bay side of things, from the offensive perspective. The one thing that really worries me is that Saints front getting to Brady. But get, taking into account what that Tampa Bay offensive line did and neutralizing, for the most part, that Washington football team pass rush, as I uh, alluded to in our uh, pre-wildcard podcast. But um, I do expect them to be able to slow down the Saints rush enough for Brady to get the ball into the hands of his weapons. The Saints secondary is good, but if that pass rush isn't getting there, they are not good enough to stick man or zone with the plethora of weapons Brady has at his disposal, and a healthier Mike Evans, as you know, he was uh, struggling with a um, was it a quad issue, Alex? Well, I wouldn't say he was struggling. I wouldn't call what he Washington struggling. He may have been dealing with an injury, but I don't think he was really struggling with it. Yeah, dealing with it. If he wasn't one hundred percent last week, he will be Uh-oh. for this game. <laughs> If that if that Mike Evans wasn't you know and I guess you know at this point all football players I wouldn't call any of them really truly a hundred percent after a long grueling season like really any NFL season is. Shy, I'm gonna agree with you again. I'm going with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I picked the Bucks to win their last matchup against the Saints. They lost thirty to three. So maybe Bucks fans want me to pick the Saints this time. I just think, as you were saying, the Bucks are playing their best football. And the Saints aren't playing bad football. And that defense has actually played great the last few weeks. But I just think Tom Brady in the playoffs is a different animal. And we thought about, you know, Tampa, that missing piece at quarterback. Not only did they upgrade at quarterback, but they have a leader for these type of moments. That these moments, that the experience of Brady, and obviously Brees has a ton of experience too, but for a team that's as inexperienced as the Bucks are, that experience of Brady's really, I think, going to propel them and help them maybe go further than some some might think. I like the Bucks in this game, and I think a bit, you know, Devin White's coming back now. Obviously, he tested positive for COVID. It looks like he's going to be healthy enough to play. The impact on you know, we'll see how big of an impact COVID had on him because he's going to have a tall task. He's probably going to be matched up with Alvin Kamara all game. And Tampa might have the two best starting linebackers in the NFL. I think, at least off the top of my head, they have the best uh, duo at the linebacker position. So those linebackers, led by Devin White, led by Levante David, against Alvin Kamara, I think is going to be a really interesting and could be the key to the game, the matchup to watch for leading up into this game. And then also, kind of continuing the trend of very interesting and what should be 
fun and competitive cornerback receiver matchups is Marshawn Lattimore against Mike Evans. You know, we'll see how healthy Evans is, but Evans looked plenty healthy last week. How does Lattimore go up against Evans? And then I think the third matchup to keep in mind is Malcolm Jenkins against Rob Gronkowski, because in two games, Gronk has done nothing against the Saints. I mean, he's been he's been kept absolutely silent against the Saints. Hasn't done a thing. And a big a big reason why is because of Malcolm Jenkins' ability to cover guys that are, you know, bigger him. He's obviously very physical. So I think those three matchups, the linebackers of the Bucks against Alvin Kamara is probably the biggest for me. But Lattimore against Evans and then Jenkins against Gronk are three really intriguing matchups to watch. I also think or sorry, and then you look at, you know, Thomas, you know, Michael Thomas, coming back from injury, did a very good job uh, kind of finding the soft spots. That's what he's always done a very good job of. But Drew Brees, you know, he's done he's done enough to win this year. He's always done enough. And you're facing now an offense that's rolling on all cylinders. It's hitting on all cylinders. And I just don't think Drew Brees and that Saints offense, at least at this point right now, has the firepower to keep up with an offense that could really get rolling early, like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That Saints defense has been tremendous all year. And again, there are a lot of really good matchups on that side of the ball. But I do think the Buccaneers are going to be able to cut into that Saints defense, put up put up some points, put up, uh, you know, get in the end zone, which Chicago was just not able to do last week. And I think that's going to end up hurting the Saints. And I just don't think they have the firepower to play catch up or at least, you know, to get in a complete shootout. But it's the playoffs. Breeze does have playoff experience. Maybe he was winning to turn it on for this game. But, hey, we won it. We were excited for Brady Breeze twice a year. Now we get it three times a year. And in a playoff matchup, two of the best to ever do it. So it definitely should be a fun, interesting, and entertaining game between two of the legends of the NFL. And getting back to that point, Alex, about uh, Drew Brees, I completely agree. I think if you take away this running game, which is what the Saints offense is going to have to rely on against, you know, two of the best linebackers in football, and yes, Devin White... I wasn't even talking about the running game. I was just talking about Kamara's ability to be a receiver out of the backfield. uh, McCaffrey's obviously up there, but right now, I might, you know, McCaffrey obviously was injured a lot this year. I might say that Kamara's the best receiving back in the NFL. That's a valid statement, but I think... Um, I think having that really stout front seven that Tammy Buccaneers have with the, with Levante David and Devin White, yes, he's coming off of COVID, and that will obviously play into a big part of it if he's a hundred percent. Um, but I think I do trust in that abil- in their ability to um contain this running game, um, if not take it away from New Orleans when that time comes when Drew Brees is going to need to make a two-minute drive and score points and throw the ball. I I don't trust him to do that consistently. Um, I I think that's what the game is going to come down to, quite frankly. And not saying that Drew Brees is a bad quarterback. I just think he you've seen the regression throughout the year. He's made just enough plays. But I think at this time in the playoffs, um, where historically he hasn't been very good and the Saints as a team haven't been very good I think over the last few years I do expect Tampa Bay 
to pull this upset off and finally get a W against the New Orleans Saints and advance to play our project to play as to play as we project the Green Bay Packers and in Lambeau, um, if our projections are correct. So Alex, we agree four for four on our picks today, which is unusual, but I guess that's how we like it. Well, the, or it could be one of those things where you know you always have like a whole panel pick the same team, and then of course the other team ends up winning. So I'm gonna be surprised if you know that's how it ends up either. I mean, I'm. I really just hope we get four great, competitive, edgy-your-seat nail-biting games. You know, that that's always what I hope for, really for any week in the NFL. But especially come playoff time, I just want competitive games, games that come down to the last drive, come down to, you know, a quarterback maybe having to prove himself or, you know, a de- maybe a struggling defense but has to get one stop. That's what I always wish and hope for in the NFL. So, obviously, I know... Some games I think we both think are going to be closer than others, but at the end of the day, we just want four great competitive close games to make an epic weekend of NFL football. Certainly. So, Shai, do you have any kind of last thoughts as we kind of wrap up and close out this edition of the podcast? Um, no, not really. I mean, uh, you know, I feel a little bad for saying this, but most of my NFL thoughts have not been uh, playoff-related thoughts as my team, the Pittsburgh Steelers, was humiliated um, last weekend. So I've been thinking about their offseason. But I am excited to be, uh, well, not exactly excited to be watching my two division rivals play, which I think should be interesting. Not excited for it, but I think it should be interesting. I am excited, though, to to see some some really good games, some competitive football to uh, cheer me up, and uh, hopefully they'll both lose, Alex. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of NFL Game Time Podcast. For the birthday boy, Shai Dweck, I am Alex Rubinson. We will see you next week for our AFC and NFC Championship preview. I can't believe we've already made it to this one this season. See you next time on NFL Game Time Podcast.